For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports gets bigger every single week. That's why we have deal-making issues, three to one, and that's why after that, continuation of our exclusive NFL roundtable with football and operational executive Donna Ponte and team presidents of the Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets, and San Francisco 49ers. But first, deal-making issues of the week. Three. Boom Entertainment, the creator of a popular sports gaming app such as NBC Sports Predictor, announced a $15 million Series A, led by Sands Capital, to fuel the company's expansion into real money gaming products. Sports fans and casino players are craving something more, new products that will transform how they consume sports and how they're entertained, co-founder of Boom and the CEO of that company. With its capital infusion, redefining what real money gaming looks like by introducing new ways to bet on sports and new experiences for players. The investment company, with nearly $80 billion under management, including stakes in Amazon, Netflix, and Nike, led Boom Entertainment's latest round. Sands' extensive experience in real money gaming, shareholders of Entain, which runs BetMGM and a joint venture with MGM Resorts, and his previous shareholder of the Las Vegas Sands. Of course it was. A big deal. Deal-making issue number three. Two. Number two. Robbie Lawler defeats Nick Diaz in a rematch 17 years in the making. Lawler versus Diaz won back in April 2004, UFC 47. 20-year-old Diaz versus 22-year-old Lawler. After the fight, Lawler told Diaz, thank you for bringing out the best in me. A lot of respect for you. Definition of a stand-up fighter. Both of them came together for a thrilling card. Diaz came out firing. Didn't give Lawler an easy time. But it's clear that ruthless Robbie Lawler not going to be denied. Continuing the legacy of UFC. One. Finally, number one. What would it be? Of course it would be. The NFL. They want Apple to broadcast the Sunday night ticket package starting in 2023. Reported by The Athletic, sources say the NFL feels that because they currently have ties with both Amazon and ESPN, the league would rather branch off into a deal with Apple. DirecTV has broadcast the Sunday ticket since its infancy in 1994. The new deal expected to bring a myriad of changes, such as letting subscribers choose just a single team's out-of-market games or maybe just standalone games, according to The Athletic. DirecTV's deal with the league expires following this season, but the parent company, AT&T, not expected to renew with the $1.5 billion to $2 billion per year price increase. Early reports had Amazon beginning streaming Thursday night games next season as a lead contender, along with Disney's ESPN. A perfect tie-in. 
Remember last week we began a very exclusive roundtable at the early part of the NFL season with some executives who know what they're talking about. Don Aponte, who is the top football official at the NFL. Mark Lamping, the president of the Jacksonville Jaguars, before that MetLife, before that the St. Louis Cardinals, and on and on. Jaime Alhai, the president of the New York Jets. Al Guido, president of San Francisco 49ers, before that involved with a number of sales opportunities and building of Levi Stadium and the like. All of them clearly know what they're doing. This week, we break down specific questions such as gaming, new revenue, the uh, uh, COVID relationships, and some of the biggest challenges they have as far as new media and that concern and beyond. We give you all four of these executives in a lively roundtable discussion that you really don't want to miss. We will start with the first question that relates to fans returning. The NFL published, uh, there was a published report about a 20% drop in revenue last year, about $380 million per team. And obviously that was the ticket relationship, but now we know they're coming back in, in droves. And just a, a quick uh, COVID-related follow-up, because all of you mentioned COVID in your opening remarks. What's the one thing that you've learned from a from a maybe a, a stadium development perspective or, or a or a ticket or marketing perspective that you can take away from the pandemic that's a really positive thing that you can apply to the future? Don, start with you. In terms of tickets um, and marketing, look, I think for us, the focus was a little bit different. I think I'll leave that some more specifics to uh, the club presidents and how they dealt with it. But, you know, again, from us, really the primary focus with COVID was the health and safety of all involved. And as we talk about the fans coming back this year, um, you know, we went from limited to no capacity to pretty much closer to full stadiums this week, this year, as we've seen this week. Uh, so, you know, much of that has been being thoughtful in our approach, working with the individual clubs, staying in close contact with the state and local authorities, and really being continuing to be adaptable to the changing circumstances. Uh, I think I think are things that are related to that with respect to getting fans back into the stadium and really creating the sense that there is a safe environment. Uh, you know, with the vaccination efforts, the NFL, along with the clubs, have, you know, believed that the vaccinations are the best way to keep the fans in the community safe. We've communicated that through uh, many different avenues, including uh, education and public messaging. Uh, it was also uh, alluded to about the stadium vaccination sites since the vaccines were first approved. Uh, there have been nearly 5 million shots administered at NFL stadiums, uh, and many of those stadiums served as the mass vaccination sites. So, you know, we're going to continue to promote vaccines. We have over 93% of our players vaccinated and more than 99% of club staff vaccinated. That's a huge credit to the clubs who really led the charge in these efforts. Uh, and, you know, it was mentioned earlier about the Delta variant. So, again, we talk about the safety. That was something that I would say maybe five or six months ago that wasn't expected to play such a significant role uh, in how we operate. So, um, you know, 
Again, as we did through 2020, we're prepared to comply with those regulations. We'll continue to communicate with the clubs and uh, we want to keep focus on the fact that we can really create that safe environment, which plays into obviously the you know ticket sales, the marketing and all of uh, the efforts to get fans back in the stadium and feel safe. Presidents, uh, think about this for a second. And if you have anything to add, uh, the positive uh, takeaway, not just on tickets, but stadium stuff, cashless uh, yeah. uh, opportunities, uh, you know, a, a point of sale, uh, uh, better security or better checking. Well, what's what's the one thing that you could say COVID helped us do better? Rick, I, I, I think the the experience that we went through a couple years ago as it relates to security in and around the stadiums and yeah. we went through the mags and then we've made adjustments to that and that was all very tactical to deal with with potential threats but it was dealt with in a way that actually added a benefit that improved the fans experience so we have these mags now but what has come out of that is we've shortened the entry time for fans which has always been an issue and Jaime's well aware of that in in New York that that same thing I think is going to uh, come out of COVID really in, in, you know, you mentioned it in terms of the, the speed of transactions as we, as we go to all digital ticketing and almost every club has done that. You go cashless inside the stadium that also has the benefit of speeding up the transaction times. I think the one thing that's really going to have a, an, a everlasting impact and it's an issue that every team is dealing with and that's game day staff. You know, we, we, we used to always know that as long as we cast our net wide enough we'd get enough people to be able to staff the stadium on on game days that is that is not the case right now so what's so what's going to come out of this well uh, game day workers are coming into a much better environment you know i think we we've all known the importance of game day workers but you're seeing a lot of things that being done in terms of the quality of their of, of their work life when they come into stadiums you're seeing changes in terms of compensation incentives for people uh, to show up repeatedly. And I think if we do this right, the end result of this will be a better, more motivated game day staff, which is critically important to everyone's experience. And, it, and at the end of the day, it'll also significantly benefit those people who have such an impact on our fans experience that literally are just part time employees and they show up. So. I think I think focus on game day employees. I don't think there's a team in the NFL that isn't focused on that today, making sure that we got to make sure that every concession stand is open, that we have the, the right amount of guest service people, the right amount of security. And it's a lot harder to do that now uh, than it was pre COVID. It's, of course, incredibly interesting and important perspective. <clears throat> Jaime, anything, uh, you know, one one positive that's come out of the last year and a half. Yeah, I think I think Mark and, and, and Don have sort of nailed it there. Um, but I think one positive is truly the adaptability. I mean, if you were having this conversation with us in 2020, we didn't we didn't really know if we were going to have a season and how we would operate and what we would be able to do. And I think to see the community, whether it's our elected officials, whether it is the people that operate our stadiums across the country, how they've adjusted to create that environment that everybody felt it was safe, whether whether you touched on it, Rick, and even and Mark touched on it, cashless environments, right? I, I can tell you from, from firsthand experience, that was something that we were thinking about, you know, for some period of time. 
and candidly, it probably was, you know, more economic driven in some way, shape or form for people to, you know, use use credit cards or other cashless means to, to transact business. But now when you're talking about a health and safety component and working with your elected officials to get that done, that gets done a lot easier in a COVID world than, than, it, than it did maybe previously when you're dealing with, you know, uh, the political process. So I think from that perspective, you really saw people try to get together and create the best environment uh, possible for our fans. And I think that has a halo effect as we continue to, to you know, operate our stadiums. What is going to be the best way to keep people safe, healthy, and um, deal with those types of things that were probably not necessarily talked about in the past, right? Um, you might say you're going to have a digital ticket for data purposes, so we all know who our fans are coming into the building, and I think that's that's obviously a huge benefit for clubs. But now in an environment where people are about are sensitive about being in close proximity to people and and what we're dealing with, I think there's an added benefit to that too. So I think there there's 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 a, a positive aspect to all of this from an experience standpoint. But at the end of the day, to me, it is just the the adaptability of people trying to figure out the, a difficult situation, coming up with the best solution possible for for people to get back to to normal on some level. Al, put a bow on it for us. Yeah, um, I would say the acceleration of uh, mobile adoption and education. I think I talked about this the last go around, sort of the like law diffusion of innovation. Everybody moved up a couple. So whoever was in the laggards, you had no choice. You had to move up. And so I think with that comes more data, uh, more opportunities to provide content to your fans in ways that they have them. Uh, and so I, I think it was, a, it was a huge, huge advantage. And I, I said it before, outside of health and safety, I'm not sure much changed. I think everything accelerated uh, and technology and mobile adoption was off the charts. That's topic number one. <clears throat> Let's talk about gaming for a minute. In the leather helmet days, when I was uh, tasked uh, by Bagley uh, Boo to help put public-private partnerships together in stadiums, I was told unequivocally, don't touch Indian gaming, don't touch casino sponsorship, don't touch anything that smacks of gambling revenue that is completely and irrevocably off the table. Well, changed a little bit. FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, all of the deals you've got. So, Don, I guess I could ask you to point out the epiphany moment where the NFL realized this is not only going to happen, but it's going to happen in NFL style, which is grab as many things you can generate significant dollars and make it easy for everybody. So uh, give us a history lesson. I do go way back in the times that you're talking about, Rick. So, um, you know, that's that I'm very familiar with uh, with that being more taboo than not. Um, so really, you know, as has always been the case, our primary our primary focus has been uh, on the integrity of the game and will continue to be uh, and really ensuring what fans are seeing on the field is the result of pure competition and not in any way tainted. So we continue our efforts on that front to ensure that we are protecting the NFL family that, you know, in terms of who touches our games, the players, the game officials, club personnel, game operations, um, all of those people from the outside influences, which results in us training uh, over 17,000 people each year. In terms of how we got here, I think, you know, as sports betting has evolved, especially with the Supreme Court ruling several years ago, um, you know, so have our policies related to fan engagement. I think that's really been a lot of the focus is fan engagement. I will not say that there's not a 
um, financial component to it. But you know, we're mindful that a large number of our fans don't want to have sports betting. Uh, so the primary way for you know, and the primary way for them to interact. So games on television or other devices have little of this activity. Um, meanwhile, for fans who are interested, there are alternative ways to consume the NFL, and this includes different feeds of the game uh, or sponsor agreement with companies that you know that are designed to provide accurate and real-time data. So you know, there's definitely been a balance on it. I think we um, we for sure have kind of evolved in that space, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, both the clubs, our sponsors uh, and others have have tried to do it in a uh, thoughtful and responsible way. So, Mark, a lot is uh, is comprehensive, efficient order taking. Uh, you know, it used to be who's going to make the first offer. Now you got all these entities that want to do a whole bunch of stuff and you have to make sure league rights are protected, but their revenues to be generated yourself. How do you balance the desire to be careful against the desire to grab as much of this gaming opportunity as you can? Well, I, you know, Don, Don hit the nail on the head right off the bat. You know, first and foremost, you have to deal with the integrity issue. And again, it, this isn't supposed to be a, a get together to say what a great job the league office has done, but they've really nailed the integrity part of it. Um, and so if you can set that aside, then you get into, you know, what is what is the best way to make sure that, you know, your fans benefit from a uh, benefit from it. You, we know there's going to be increased engagement, at least amongst a sizable portion. The same impact we had with fantasy football. I don't think, I don't, I don't think we all realize that until after the fact that fantasy football had a big impact in terms of engagement with the game itself. Um, you know, it's 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 amazing if you look across the league. If legalized sports betting is legal in your state, you've got a lot of people that are interested in talking to you. And if you don't, you know, you work really hard at trying to sell a, a destination or an entertainment package or, you know, maybe an online gaming um, program, but it's really difficult to make uh, substantial progress commercially if legalized sports betting isn't, isn't uh, acceptable in your state. Now we've seen that in Florida. You know, we we expect that legalized sports betting is expected to come online in October, and all of a sudden, not only are people taking our calls, we're getting some inbound calls. So uh, it's 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 unquestionably uh, the most important asset for uh, entities in the gaming industry to connect with the NFL. The NFL is such a driver of sports betting across the board and i think it all comes down to what's what's the cost of acquiring cu uh, customers because most of these this this gaming is is going to be done via your phone in successful states and you know new jersey is a good example of that almost all of all of the action is done on your on your phone and the question is how do you how do you grow your customer base um and if you look at entities that have a huge connection to people that have interest in the NFL, whether it's through playing fantasy football or buying tickets or uh, digital engagement with uh, with an entity. That's a that's a that's a prized asset, and I think that's driving quite a bit of the interest that uh, uh, gaming institutions have in terms of affiliating not only at the league level, uh, but at the individual uh, team level as states open up legalized sports betting.
I mean, Jersey really created a lot of this madness because that was the <clears throat> state that allowed this to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it was, you know, a couple of years ago with this complete sea change and landscape change. Uh, how do you change? How do you change your your daily operations? And what's the thought about uh, betting uh, at facilities down the road? I mean, as you touched on it, Rick, you know, we were sort of at the at the forefront of this, and we were really in the storm of it all. You know, when uh, Governor Christie really started this whole process a few years back. And um, look, as Mark alluded to, it's been a huge revenue driver for us. There's been a lot of interest in it. Um, candidly, our organization has embraced it as an opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, not only monetize the, the category, but also, you know, potentially get new fans and have them experience our product in, in a different way. We've, we've actually um, integrated locations at our stadium that will be, you know, call it sports betting lounges you know, for, for uh, both Giants and, and Jets games, you know, with different partners activating. So I think we, we do view that as, as an opportunity and a differentiator for people to consume our product. We started this conversation earlier about, you know, how is it going to change? How are things going to adapt? I think for us, if you told me, you know, a decade or so ago that we would be having sports betting lounges in our stadiums, I would have told you you were crazy. It wasn't going to happen. And and here we are here we are today dealing with that in a real tangible way. And I think part of it is is the the market isn't necessarily mature at this point. We've seen this in other emerging categories where people are trying to get in and 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 benefit from the halo of the NFL. But there also is an education process for them too, right? Casinos are used to generally operating with their regulations, but they kind of can do whatever they want. And we don't really operate that way. We have to comply with league rules. We have to comply with our our local guidelines and not everything's the same. You know, we also have a sports book uh, on site at our stadium that's at, at the racetrack, right? Because our regulations are a little bit different. So 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 there's a lot of things moving uh, all at the same time and all these people are kind of competing with each other. But the interesting thing that you learn from, you know, the sports betting operators, they kind of don't mind coexisting with each other too right i think they 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 really figured out a way to to you know exist in in one way shape or form with each other and they look at it as a point of entry i think one interesting thing that we've learned throughout this process is for the operators they view sports betting as sort of you know the gateway into their database and into the ability for them to to play other online games or getting into actual going to brick and mortar casinos so you know sports betting is not a, a high profit business for for the operators but it's an easy way to get people in and then them potentially engaging with them in in iGaming and other other types of opportunities so look we've embraced it we think it's a it's a good fan engagement perspective it helps us you know potentially you know, uh, target a different fan base, and but also creating a different experience within the stadium. You know, our stadium is, uh, you know, it opened in 2010. So, you know, we're at that midpoint almost of, uh, of the life and it needs to probably adjust and adapt. And I think, you know, both clubs, Jets and Giants are are uh, considering that and, and, and open to that as we sort of move along here. Al, uh, 
uh, a gambling audible question, but you're a veteran of this panel, so you can handle it. Project ahead five years from now. What does the business look like, gaming and the NFL? I think it's uh, probably legalized in every state. So all 32, I guess, what, 30 clubs or 29 clubs based off multiple clubs playing in in same stadiums. Uh, right now, I'm at, I'm at Mark's level. If you just look at the micro side, I'm following the legislation in California. It's the largest state in the union. Um, like Mark, we're not able to do an LSB deal that, you know, has mobile components to it. So it's a little bit different. I do think this is a time where you could probably make the argument if you're a club that's not able to do this, right, um, like Jaime might be, uh, that it could be a disadvantage if you think about the local revenue side. I don't think about it that way. I think it, to some degree, Mark and I get to sit back and learn um, from folks like Jaime who have done it really well. And so I think about it in a couple ways where there's the what happens when it becomes legalized in your state and how do you uh, you know, partner with uh, the, the folks who are ultimately in the space to grow your fan base, monetization, all those things. I also look about it inside our physical footprint. What are we doing today to prepare ourselves for the opportunity to activate that partner? And that partner might be activating rights and marks. That partner may be a licensed partner. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be learned here uh, from the local team side. I think the league's done a great job educating us, but every single state will be very, very different. It's probably similar to how we've talked about NIL for the last couple of years, frankly, and how these things roll out at the state level and what teams are able to do um, from a monetization perspective or even an activation perspective to grow our fan base and grow our, our revenue components. But, you know, of course, it's a big number, or we assume it will be a big number here in the future if you're a California club. We could talk gaming for another couple hours. Uh, I'm going to take a liberty of combining the last couple of questions by asking it this way. Um, the um, equity investment uh, uh, company, a 32 equity, the NFL, uh, just gives you some insight into all of the things that the NFL is doing, the sports merchandising and gaming and sports data and technology, uh, athlete recovery, uh, luxury event hospitality, uh, gaming technology studio, and on and on. It's a lot of different issues combined in the context of summer new media, um, summer expand demographics, uh, summer to improve performance. So, Don, let, let me ask you this one as kind of the final wrap-up question. Um, all of you can't probably prioritize each of them, but how significant is the push by the NFL to all of these new innovation technologies, and, and where is it going? I guess broadly defined. Yeah, I mean, look, we there is a, a significant focus on on new media and technology, and it was you know talked about, and it has a lot to do with the fan engagement and really identifying ways in which we can continue to grow the game, both the you know on the field as well as um, you know through the media and other other avenues. So. You know, we do have a constant focus on fans and the game presentation. Uh, the media strategy is a core element and, you know, we try to differentiate the live game experiences um, and how it is consumed. So things such as the Twitch generation is not going to be the one sitting in front of the 
uh, television watching the free to air national broadcast and you know we have offered streaming through the mobile phones. We've had that for years now. We've launched the Thursday night football with Amazon uh, and now partnered with them long term and then we've tried to get into alternative broadcast things such as Nickelodeon, um, YouTube and other other ways. So you know again we're fortunate that our game really is compelling, exciting and unpredictable and it gives us opportunities to um, you know create different uh, mediums for for people to engage and watch and um, that that like I said is is really an ongoing focus and effort uh, particularly as we have our long-term media deals in place that will give us those opportunities uh, to spend more times in those areas and clearly if you track the NFL's uh, investment strategy and staff strategy it's an entertainment company it's not just a sports company, as we know uh, Andy <coughs> Andy Lee uh, Foley do you want to uh, kind of ask uh, the remaining president's question relative to the future of this area, given that Don has has uh, opened it up to such a wide, diverse set of topics. Uh, sure, thanks, thanks, Rick, and it's great to be here with uh, everyone, mostly old friends. Um, it's been really fascinating to listen to everyone's perspective, uh, and it seems like the theme here is really, I mean, we've 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 been experiencing a real inflection point, not only in the world, but also in this business of sports that we're all part of. Um, and thinking about the future in in different ways and long term ways. I mean, it, it makes me think about, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid watching reruns of Star Trek, which was already an old show that my father watched and, and watching them with their communicators or their, you know, their earpieces, earpieces communicating and you know, for the last 10 years, that technology has just been a normal part of, of our lives. That cycle of how things are changing has accelerated so much that we all really need to adapt. And it sounds like, you know, everyone here is, is thinking about that in in really proactive ways. When you think about the, the, the 10, 11 year, you know, media rights deals that the NFL has done that Tom was talking about and what's going on with technology and streaming and the the media world right now, uh, I think it's great and it's brilliant, but I think also at the end of 10 years, it could be a completely different animal and a, and a totally different landscape that we're thinking about. So, um, and that's all gonna, in fact, it, it, may, it may roll over twice <laughs> over the course of the next decade in terms of where technology is gonna take us in, in ways that we're not even an, anticipating. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I, I, I've, I've found that really useful to put it all in context for for all of you you presidents here but i guess um in in terms of a, a question um i would just see what your your reaction is to that in a, in the bigger picture like i think that all of these things could come together whether it's you know the media rights the gambling um and the fan engagement uh if i guess if you had to pick uh what you think the area is that could be the most different you know, a decade from now for you, uh, you know, what what might that be? I call me the between my last name being from Jersey, the pizza slice guy. I'll give you a reference. Like it's our job to grow the pie. The slices are to be determined. And like I think that there's there's so many different ways. If you think about the economics, right? I, I think about it in four big buckets: media, tickets, sponsorship, and suites. Right? There's a lot of ancillary revenues in there. Those will all change, not 10 years from now, three years from now. I mean, 
what blockchain might do to ticketing, what NFTs have become, what crypto now is a category, right? I think it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to say what a crystal ball looks like 10 years from now. I think about it and they, they all spoke to it, which is the hero feature has to remain the hero feature. Our product has to remain as good as it is today, if not better, right? And it's as good as it's ever been on the field of play. And if that is the case, and if all of us as operators are doing our jobs to try to make the fan experience great, there'll be plenty of interest from whoever it is that wants to be affiliated with the National Football League. And so media is probably the biggest one that might ultimately change. But I think we can see that crystal ball a little bit better than might than we might otherwise see other emerging technologies around our sports. You know, the one thing I would, I would add to that and uh, couldn't agree more, um, and that is that no one can predict the future with certainty. Um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, technology is going to go where your customers lead you. Um, and so those basic fundamentals of ensuring that we understand consumer wants and needs and understand the trends and most importantly, be nimble and uh, responsive to those constantly changing uh, wants, needs, and desires, I think is really important. And I, you know, I am, I'm, I'm really, really bullish on the future of the NFL, because if you just look at what's necessary to be able to be successful in a constantly changing environment, and if, and if you look at the history of the last 18 months with how the league has effectively dealt uh, with COVID and the other emerging issues, um, you know, I, th I, th I think the league is in a really good spot. We don't know where we're going to end up, but I think our best days are, are ahead of us. I don't think there's any question about that. And there's not a there's not a business metric related to the National Football League that wouldn't provide 100 percent support to that conclusion. I agree with with everything Alan and Mark have said. You know, I, I, I think really it's going to be an evolution of technology, media, and how people consume the fan experience. I mean, who knows what that looks like? But I, I don't think with, with advancements in technology, is there a scenario where, you know, you could have sort of a true virtual admission ticket that somehow transplants you from, from home into the stadium, the, which isn't just watching it on TV like most people do? I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that ended up happening at some point in time. What that looks like, I don't know. But there, there's a way for people to consume those products a bit differently. We've seen we've seen the season ticket subscription concept change and evolve over the past five years or so. We've seen that you know change a bit with respect to the secondary market and how people are deciding to purchase tickets. You know, in the past there was the 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 full notion of wait lists, and that was the only way to go. Um, that has clearly changed a lot. So I, I think the way technology and media can converge to create a different sort of fan experience where they don't have to leave their home, but they're experiencing a lot of the same things that you may have at the stadium. I, I could see that somehow morphing in concept, particularly as virtual reality and all these other things evolve over, over time. All four of these folks add critical dimension and perspective to the 15 to $16 billion business that is the NFL. Now the Sports Tech Minute. 
Sorari raises $680 million to expand their fantasy sport NFT catalog. The company has raised that $680 million Series B funding, values the Paris-based startup at $4.3 billion. With the new funding, they'll pursue partnerships with the top 20 global soccer leagues, expand its NFT-based fantasy platform into other sports, and open its first U.S. office in New York. Solaris' Ethereum blockchain-backed platform lets users buy, sell, and trade digital cards of soccer players while utilizing their cards to build fantasy lineups that compete against other users. And more than $150 million worth of cards have been traded on the company's platform since January through its 600,000 registered users. And more than 180 soccer organizations have licensing rights, including such teams as Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Juventus. It's not the first European digital collections company to raise funds this year while expanding into U.S. platforms. In March, Chillis raised $50 million to produce its Socios fan tokens for U.S. teams and leagues after initially creating branded tokens for Europe's top, top soccer teams. And that's our Sports Tech Minute. Finally, the Good Sports 5. We focus on philanthropy during and after the pandemic. The NBA partners with Palais Labs for plans to meet and greets with subscribers. The partnership, the latest endeavor, brokered by Think450, the innovation and partnership arm of the Players Association that manages players' group licensing rights. Major League Baseball, in partnership with the Colorado Rockies, pledged to refill the Colorado River water supply after a year-long drought. The water specifically flows into the 15-mile reach, a stretch of the Colorado home to endangered fish, and it couldn't come at a better time. Alexander Yusick pulls off the unlikely and defeats London's finest, Anthony Joshua, the three title belts. Thanks to the immediate rematch clause in the contract, he may be back there sooner than we think. In a week of UFC Hall of Fame festivities, stars inducted and acknowledged for their achievements Georgia St. Pierre's injunction, Kevin Randleman, John Jones, others involved with the Good Fight Foundation raising a significant amount of money. Finally, one of the NBA's best sharpshooters, Jay Jag Redick, announces his retirement. He played in the league for 15 seasons and one of the most electric college players of all time at Duke. Substantial philanthropic contributions sure will be missed, but clearly on the court will be missed, but off the court, he's just getting started. And that's your show for the week. We'd like to thank all of the friends who are presidents, Mark Lamping, Jaime Elhai, Al Guido, and Donna Ponte from the NFL for participating in our lively roundtable. We'd like to thank you all for listening and joining us next week when we continue to focus on the biggest issues behind the scenes in sports. I'm the sports professor, Rick Haro. See you soon. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.